You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book called Auction Ready, How to Buy Property at Auction Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the web website as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp and we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. If you've been listening to this podcast from the very beginning, you'll know that our first episode was with a behavioural scientist who went to an auction and subsequently unpacked 12 ways in which the auctioneer, the agent and the auction process itself influence buyers, mostly without them even being aware they're being affected. In our second episode, we quizzed arguably Australia's best-known auctioneer, Damien Cooley, about how conscious he is about engaging the subconscious minds of buyers during each and every auction he performs. Without giving anything away, I can say that he is extremely aware of what he's doing, and if you ever bid at auction without first listening to that episode, you are mad. Today, Damien has joined us again, and we're going to get the dirt on how online auctions performed during the coronavirus shutdown period and whether that will indeed be the future of property auctions moving forward. Welcome, Damien. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Veronica. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show again. No, our pleasure. Um, your episode's definitely one of the episodes where uh, we get really good feedback and a bit of a light bulb moment. So, uh, And it was all the way back at episode two, I th- two or three, I think. So um, we've done 120 episodes now, so it was a long time ago. But obviously the last few months um, have been a bit challenging for everyone really, but also I guess for yourself and your businesses um, and how you've had to evolve or make changes. So how did the COVID sort of um, situation affect the auctions and moving to online and how did that all go? Yeah, great question. We, I guess for us as a business, Three, four years ago, we started actually building an online auction platform, um, which is known as Auction Now. We actually initially called it Cooley Now. It was going to be a product that we that we had just for Cooley Auctions and was just going to be used for our clients, um, technology that was, I guess, to some degree ahead of its time in that we really wanted to digitise the way that we handled our auction data we wanted to be able to give buyers the ability to to watch our auctions from anywhere in the world on any device. We wanted the ability for those buyers to be able to engage with us on auction day, and by that I mean actually place their bids digitally online, mm-hmm. again from anywhere in the world on any device. So not, not just the ability for people to tune in and bid, but we also wanted to have digital records of our auctions. We wanted to be able to have footage kept of our auctions for compliance. We wanted to be able to make sure that we recorded our reserve prices, how many bidders we had registered, what what properties we're selling for. We basically just wanted a digital record of the whole auction process. So we started building that four years ago now. um, And very quickly, we learned that, hey, this was going to cost a lot more than I initially thought. And (laughs) we can't call this thing Cooley Auction, Cooley now, because no one's going to use it. We need to uh, we need to call it auction now. So that was the whole reasoning behind the the brand switch to auction now. And it was it was designed to be a platform that would be used by the industry and and for the industry to get a benefit out of this technology, which was I guess prop tech for for the auction space. So how that how that played out during this COVID period was that you know we we'd been using this platform solid for two years and and what I mean by that is that every auction that Cooley Auctions had done two years prior to to COVID was was run in conjunction with 
um, the online um, technology. So we were using Auction Now um, for a couple of years before um, this whole pandemic um, came about. And, and we were using it in such a way that we were broadcasting our auctions, live streaming them. Um, we didn't have that many buyers actually bidding online. Most of the buyers were still bidding via the telephone or most buyers were, were either bidding in person. We did have some buyers bidding online. But I guess for us as a business, when, when COVID-19 um, pandemic really um, run true in our industry where auctions were actually banned, banned from calling an auction out the front of a house or banned from doing an auction in the room as we'd previously known it, we were really well positioned with the technology um, at our fingertips because we'd been using this for the past two years. Now, granted, it was a little bit different. Um, we, we had to move away from having people in front of us to exclusively conducting online auctions, but we were very, very well positioned to use this tech. Um, I think it's also probably important to, to just note that when we built this tech, we didn't really build it with with it being in mind that we were never, we, we weren't going to have people standing in front of us. We, yeah. we built it with the with the thought process that it would be used in conjunction with a live auction. And whilst we whilst we do believe, and I still believe that there is an absolute place for online auctions, um, I, I think that the benefit of the benefit of a live auction certainly, in my opinion in many respects, um, adds a lot of value to the end result than just exclusively doing that property online. And I guess we're going to probably get into a little bit of that um, as the podcast goes on. So through that um, process where they literally banned auctions and then you had to do all sort of online sort of virtual auctions, did you notice um, any major change or many shortfalls that you kind of wish you were back on site um, and you kind of realise that this potentially isn't going to get the best result for your vendors compared to having that on-site auction? Yeah, the first thing that we noticed were, was how many properties actually got cancelled um, yes. <laughs> and how many properties got basically pulled off the market, withdrawn, postponed. Uh, to give you an example, on the the week before Easter traditionally is one of the biggest auction weeks of the year. As the Saturday before Easter, we had over 100 auctions. On the Tuesday night in our auction rooms in Double Bay, we had 47 properties booked in for auction. And if I asked you to guess how many properties actually ended up going ahead that night, um, it'd be you wouldn't get it. So I'm just going to tell you what it is. We had one auction go ahead. <laughs> out of 47 properties that were booked in. Who was cancelling, the agent or the vendor or a combination of both? I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of sellers that were very nervous about what was ahead. I think there were a lot of vendors that were nervous about um, how buyers were going to react to the fact that um, auctions were banned. I think that a lot of vendors didn't understand that we could still run our auction online. I also think that a lot of agents didn't understand that. I, I think that when people heard the words auctions are banned, it was almost like we're taking our property off the market straight away and and we're either moving to a private treaty um, sale campaign or we're just actually taking it off the market. So I think that initial shock was significant. Um, when When that announcement was made, my phone started blowing up straight away and, and it was it was I remember it was late at night and I basically sat on the computer till the, the wee hours of the morning um, emailing all of our clients that had auctions booked in our database of agents about how what the next steps were going to be and how we're going to solve the issues that we had at hand and, and that was that we do have a solution and our solution is auction now. Um, and, and we've been using this for the past two years and we understand the platform. In fact, that if there was any auction business that was online auction ready, it was us. And, and we, were, we were, the, in my opinion, we were the best position to handle it. Now, even though that we were able to make those comments and those statements, even our own clients were still very hesitant um, and about going to auction. And, and if the reality is if the agent is hesitant about going to auction, they're not going to be able to convince the seller that it's the right way to go. 
Um, and as a result, we had loads of properties that were just being cancelled um, straight off the bat. So I guess to answer your question, um, Chris, about you know what are the things that we learned about getting the best result for the seller is that there is no, there is no doubt that being in front of a buyer and being in front of a vendor gives both the buyer and the vendor every opportunity to make, a, in my opinion, a better decision. Um, is there a place for online auctions? Absolutely. Do online auctions work? Yes, of course they do. Um, we, were, we were very, very successfully selling properties to, under the online auction um, process. And what, what we also discovered was the ability really to, to run two different types of online auctions. And what we branded these were a live online auction and the second option was a, a buy now auction. And the live online auction was where the auctioneer physically calls the, calls the auction and the buyers all bid online and the buyers all bid under the same terms and conditions of auction as they would have otherwise have bid. And a buy now auction is more of like a, a timed online auction system where you still have an auctioneer that actually oversees the auction, uh, but, what they, but what they do is that the buyer is able to place bids um, as they wish um, with those bids being accepted every time. Um, and the, the auction can literally be open for one week, two weeks, four weeks. It could be open for 15 minutes. The agent and the auctioneer is in control over the increments and the minimum bid increments. But we, we've really now identified two different types of online auctions. And now that we're actually able to, well, certainly in New South Wales, go back onto the street and, and go back into the auction rooms, the auction now platform for us will, again, run in conjunction with our, our live auctions. So your the auction now platform is more the live version of online auction, correct? Not so much the buy now, or did you do both within the auction now platform? Yeah, so both sit within the auction now platform. Um, the the buy now auction has has recently been branded that name, and right. we we call it a buy now auction for for two reasons. Firstly, we believe that we believe that the buy now auction will really clean up the whole selling prior of a normal auction. And, and what I mean is, what I mean by that is this. I think when a buyer makes an offer prior to auction, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, in my opinion, potential like underhanded conversations that go on between, you know, the, the person making the offer and the agent. You know, the offer is usually conditional upon, hey, I'm going to make this offer, but I don't want you to tell anyone what it is. Or, um, the agent's trying to extract an offer out of the buyer. It could be for a number of reasons. One, they might be the only buyer. Two, they might be a standout buyer. And we, we feel that if the agent is able to convert a live auction to a buy now auction when it's going to sell prior, that it's, it's a much more transparent way for all buyers to compete prior to auction. And I'll just explain how that works. What, what that means is that if a buyer is going to make an offer and it's converted to a buy now auction, the buyer makes their offer on the platform. Then what happens is the agent says, goes to all the other buyers and says, look, if there is no better bid by 5pm on Friday, whatever the date is, or, or any date or time, the property will be sold. Now what that means is that every other buyer is able to see what that offer is and that if they want to make a counter offer, they can. And it's very, very transparent. What, what we really want to want to bring to the whole auction process, which is one of the one of the reasons we started auction now, was to really give everybody a lot more confidence in the process. There'd be a lot more transparency in the process. Um, and and if a buyer is able to see what somebody else, what the offer of somebody else has made, and at least they know that that is a, a genuine offer that's been made. And you know what? If they want like to compete, they can. And if they don't want to compete, they don't have to. And if, if no better bid is placed by by X time on X date, then the property will be sold. You know, I can immediately see that agents who are dealing with a situation where they've only got one buyer or where that buyer is a standout um, – and they put it on the auction, oh, sorry, the bid, the buy now platform, that buyer would have the opportunity to back out, wouldn't they, if nobody took them on or nobody else made an offer? Well, what that buyer does is that when they when they make that offer, there's two things that happen. 
Firstly, because it is an auction, they don't need to waive any cooling off rights because it actually is a, is a genuine auction. So they can, make, they can make their offer on the platform. So, they, this is, so does that mean that their offer is like a bid? It's, it's actually like, correct, yeah. Right, exactly. wow. So they're committed if, if their committed. offer is accepted. Right, okay, interesting. Yeah. Mm. It, is, it is a bid. Now, you'd have to look at each individual state's legislation as to whether they are entitled to retract that bid or not. Yes. Um, so, for example, in New South Wales, a buyer is entitled to retract their bid. But we, we, from a buyer's point of view, when they place their bid, they have to confirm that their bid is being placed. I think it would be incredibly unlikely that a buyer would retract their bid. Um, I, we, I would think. I would think that if a buyer, because I know, you know, the two scenarios you mentioned earlier about where an agent is going to try to to extract. We call it manufacture, but extract um, a, a, a bid from a buyer prior to auction. I can see, I can see they would never go into this process because <laughs> the agent wouldn't like the idea, the transparency. Um, they wouldn't like that buyer to, to know that there's nobody else there. But I guess it would be a good thing for a buyer to insist on, okay, I'll make this offer, but I'm insisting on using that platform. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, I, I don't know. I, I tend to maybe disagree in the sense that, the, the buyers don't know who else is ready. This is one of the advantages, I think, that we certainly have seen, coming back to Chris's question earlier as well, one of the advantages that we've actually seen in the online auctions is that the buyers can't see each other. The buyers, yes. they don't know how many other registered bidders there are. So, so is that an not, advantage for the vendor? I think so. You know, yeah. I, I, I think that it is an advantage for the vendor and I, I think that it's an advantage for the auctioneer because... You know, we're using, when we were running these live online auctions exclusively online, I was using a lot of language like, look, to all of the online bidders, it's incredibly important that you bid and you bid right now. Mm. You know, and I might have only had one online bidder. So yes. <laughs> that buyer didn't know they were the only buyer. Um, but, but, but I was able to say and do whatever I like because nobody could see each other. So I do think that that was an advantage to the vendor. In saying that, um, that language didn't often work, Veronica. So I, <laughs> they don't I, still you. Get, I still wasn't able to get the bid. So I thought it was an advantage, but you know what? Maybe it wasn't. It's funny, actually, because of course now um, we'll be releasing this episode in a few weeks, but we've only just had auctions um, back on. Uh, or live auctions are just back on in New South Wales, but with restrictions, and and that is that you're not going to get the the neighbourhood, um, you know, the free show on on a Saturday afternoon, are you? Because we can't have spectators. Really, it's only registered bidders are there. Um, so there's no smoke and mirrors in terms of pretending there's more registered bidders than there are, or or the agent can't go and talk generally to to one of the neighbours and ask a couple of um, nice questions about where they bought their shoes from and get a couple of nods. Um, <laughs> there's some of that smoke and mirrors going on. Um, so auctions from now on until the end of COVID restrictions are going to be very transparent, aren't they? Yeah, well, look, it's, it's something that we've promoted for a long time. But, I mean, just to cover off a couple of those points, the, the first thing is that it's not legislate. I mean, this is we're talking about New South Wales here, but it, it's not legislation that only registered bidders can be there. So you are allowed to have spectators at the auction, um, but it is we feel that it's best practice to just say registered bidders are only invited. Now, I only had one auction on Saturday just gone and we did have a few spectators there. Uh, we had we had two registered bidders in person at the auction and we had three registered bidders online. So it still is challenging for the, for the bidders in person to know who's online and how mm. many people are online. And it's, it's probably a little bit challenging also for the bidders bidding online to get the feel for what's happening at the live auction, so you know it's still early days as to how how this will um, how this will play out. But we had three online bidders and two in person. I think the big thing is what this is what I learned in COVID. What I learned in COVID was when you're making a decision to spend you know a significant amount of money. In my opinion, it's always best to be present in front of the agent, in front of the auctioneer, to be able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, and make decisions um, at that time in person. However, if you can't be there, bidding online is a very, very good solution and it mm. certainly gives you the ability to compete under the same terms and conditions as someone in person. And to give you an example of that, 
our platform auction now has absolutely zero time delay between the time that someone um, is watching and places a bid online to, to what someone is actually bidding in person at the auction, whereas a lot of the other platforms, and I won't name any of them, but a lot of the other platforms actually have time delays. They use, they use other forms of live streaming technology that is not streamed in real time, and you can have anywhere up to a three to five second time delay, um, whereas our platform is, to, is streamed in real time. And the moment you press, press place bid, that bid comes through to the iPad um, where the auctioneer's assistant is holding and the auctioneer can see that bid. So I think um, in terms of the buyer behaviour through that process, um, was there any auctions that you can see on the online where you felt that you actually got a really surprised result, whether it was, you know, massively higher than you expected or some different funny bidding that, you know, you've done thousands and thousands of auctions. So just things where you think, wow, this is actually in a real change in kind of buy auction behaviour where, you know, let's say two people just went straight to their limits really fast or was there anything like that that you just thought, wow, this is a really different auction because this is online um, and it's potentially got a, a massively changed result? We saw, we saw a lot of hesitancy to place the first bid. Um, in, in fact, during the period of, of the last month in, uh, in April, we, so to give you an example, right, we went, from, we went from a 78% clearance rate in February, so we're talking Sydney Metro, we went 78% in Feb, March was 61% and April was 36%, okay? So we went from, what we, we use a vendor's bid often to start the bidding, and, and depending on the state of the market, we find that when the market's more challenged, we use the vendor bid more often. So in February, 20, circa 20% of our auctions started with a vendor's bid. But in April, 36% of our auctions started with a vendor's bid. So what we really noticed was that there was a lot of hesitancy to start the auctions with the online, with the online only um, auctions. And buyers were nervous about starting too high. They were nervous about um, about starting at all, we saw mm. a lot of stupid bids coming in. Like you know, we, for example, <laughs> the agent might have been guiding eight hundred thousand, and you know we had some peanuts putting bids in at two hundred thousand. So <laughs> you know, we we just we very quickly learned that what was happening is the auctioneer's assistant was saying, "Damien, I've got a bit of two hundred thousand," and I just like I didn't even want to hear that number because. The moment that somebody even heard that number, it was so ridiculous that it was putting a negative feel to the auction. So yeah. we, we learned that we had to not announce the number. So what we decided to do was say, okay, every property has a floor price and the floor price is kind of like an internal number that the auctioneer and the auctioneer's assistant and the agent has. That might be that, hey, we're guiding 800,000, for example. We might have a floor price at 750. And if somebody bid less than and the online, I didn't want you to tell me what the number was. I just wanted you to say to me, Damien, we've got a bid below our floor price. Um, and then I would say to the online bidders, folks, we've been guiding 800. Uh, I really need to see a bid at 750 or better as an opening bid. Now, if a bid didn't come in, we'd often then use the vendor's bid. So buyer behaviour was that it was difficult to get the first bid. We'd start the bid with a vendor's bid. Um, and then it was often quite challenging, to be frank, to actually then get a bit above that. But what we did find is that once we got that first bid above that vendor's bid, we often got a second and then got a third. And, and the, I guess the commercial reality of probably any auction is that if you've got multiple bidders, and, and by yeah. multiple I mean, you know, five, six, seven and more, you're usually going to sell the property and it would ordinarily should sell for a reasonably good price. Um, if you've only got one bidder or two bidders, it's obviously going to be a lot more challenging and it was even more challenging online um, than it would have otherwise have been in person. Now, there were some auctions that had huge results, prices well above their reserve. But, but I look at those auctions and most of those auctions had you know, anywhere but anywhere around 10, 15 buyers. In one one property had 27 online bidders. 
So, mm. you know, those properties, they're just going to sell well regardless of whether you're doing it online or in person. Um, and, and as an auctioneer, I was able to be a lot more bullish about the bids that I was taking. Um, and, and by that, I was able to say, look, we're only taking $50,000 bids. And we had plenty of bidders trying to bid 10000 5000 And I was just rejecting them, saying, no, it's got to be fifty. And I knew that because we had so many bidders, someone would agree and someone would bid 50. So you know, that that's just the commercial reality of having a lot of interest in a property. Now, if I only had two bidders, I obviously couldn't be as bullish with my bidding tactics and I'd have to I'd have to almost agree to take a lower increment. Um, we, we certainly saw in the early stages of, of the online auctions, a lot of auctioneers just taking almost any bid that was put forward. And I think that, that it really was like a, a learning process for the auctioneers as well to understand, you know what, this is an online auction, but I'm still an auctioneer here. Don't forget about being an auctioneer. I can still reject a bid, um, but, but you've got to, you do it in such a way that I think was a little bit, a little bit um, more understanding than, um, than maybe as, as bullish as you may have been if you were doing it on site. One of the things I like about uh, you guys is that you come out with your Cooley Index every month so and it looks at more than just the clearance rate and obviously it's just the properties that you um, auction um, but it does, it looks at, you know, how many started with a vendor bid, how many sold over reserve, how many registered bidders were there, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of that data is very interesting comparing it year on year. Um, but the problem is, I guess, it's hard to sort of work out specifically how much of this is about the platform itself or how much of this behaviour is is because of the reticence to use the platform or the reticence to actually bid online versus um, how much was a reaction or a response to the lack of certainty in the marketplace. I mean, you've got people making silly offers of 200,000 if you're quoting eight, for instance, but there are opportunists out there who think everything's going to fall off a cliff and this is their time to clean up. So that's sort of got nothing to do with the auction format, has it? It's got to do with the, just the general uncertainty in the marketplace. Yeah, no, no, good point, and and you're absolutely right. What what we saw, what we saw or have seen over the past you know six to eight weeks, um, is a lot of nervousness about market conditions. There have been plenty of buyers, and I, what I call smart money, that has been snapping up properties over this period because they have actually seen a lot of value in in buying immediately rather than. Uh, waiting. There's been a lot of people that believe that the market is going to bounce back. Um, and I guess diff- what I really noticed during this time, Veronica, was that different markets reacted uh, very differently. And when I, when I say markets, I'm talking about geographically. For example, I found the eastern suburbs of Sydney didn't adapt to the whole online process as well as the inner west of Sydney. And, oh, really? Yeah, unbelievably, inner west buyers, even western suburbs buyers, I found they they were a lot a lot more adaptable to the new way of selling than than the conservative, I guess, eastern suburbs buyer. Um, mm. We also did different age demographics. Maybe had played a bit of an influence on this. We found that you know young savvy buyers were were really cool about jumping on their iPhone and placing bids online where, you know, that sort of old, older, more conservative uh, landowner in the, the eastern suburbs of Sydney was less likely to want to tune in and, and watch by their uh, Dell computer at home and hope their internet <laughs> connection was safe and secure. Um, <laughs> where it was really interesting to see how different different markets adapted and, and different price ranges, you know. Yeah. I think that that, that, that property are, – Average around the like the million dollar mark, eight hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. You know, online auctions, bidding online, um, really cool. That market actually has held, in my opinion, has held up quite well. Um, the top end of the market, I think, has probably taken a little bit more of a hit, and I think that that's just because they're one a little bit more conservative, and two, you know, maybe they've been affected by um, stock market um, crashes and and swings of ups and downs a little bit more than um, the, the everyday buyer. Have you measured how many 
were withdrawn and and looked at the same sort of geography um, to say, right, well, there were more properties withdrawn in the eastern suburbs, for instance, than there were in the inner west or the western suburbs. Um, because I've noticed myself uh, in the east that a lot of people are just holding out for their price and the agents are saying, look, you know, my vendors aren't panicking, they're not budging. So it's a very different attitude. So they're like, oh, well, we're not going to get our price, so we'll take it off the market. Have you seen any correlation there? Well, what we saw through the, the COVID period was, to answer your question is no, I haven't I haven't tracked that specific information, but I could. It's literally the click of a few buttons and I can work it out. But um, what, what we saw was a lot of properties get withdrawn and that comment from agents is certainly what I'm hearing also. And I think mm. that what that really tells us is that, you know, some people don't need to sell and, and they're selling because for a, because they're either trading up or they're trading down, but they feel like, you know, if I don't get the price or close to the price that I'm after, we're okay to stay here for a few more years and you know what, we'll just change our plans and we'll sit tight. What we say is that everybody does have a reason for selling and if they're on the market, they're on the market for a reason. It's about, I guess, tapping into that information as to why they're selling um, and, and they're questions that buyers should ask of agents, you know, why the owner is selling. I think that that's a, a reasonable question to ask and I guess it's up to the agent to disclose <laughs> that reason. Um, yeah, you don't get much, you don't get a lot of uh, insight from most agents on that one. Yeah, but uh, look, I think that there are there are lots of vendors right now that, that rightly don't have to sell and if they mm. don't get their price, they won't sell. But my response to that is that, as I just said, like they're on the market for a reason. So they they will make the decision to sell eventually if their motivation is strong enough and it's just a matter of working out that motivation. So what about as with any sort of sharp change in the market, there's always those owners that had their, they were mid-campaign. You know, there's people that started their campaign with one set of circumstances and then and then the end of the campaign completely different. I always feel quite sorry for those vendors who just really lucked out when it came to timing. How have you found... Um, the responses, I guess, of, of agents, I know this is going away from online auctions as a, as a platform, but how have you found, I guess there's been a bit of a mixed bag in terms of how those properties have sold. Have you sort of got any insights into what people, the sorts of reactions you've seen from, from agents and vendors who have been really caught out because they were accidentally on the, on the market at the wrong time? Yeah, well, you know, anyone who was on the market in uh, in February and March was rightly thinking the market's flying, mm. um, and, and it was. We we had strong clearance rates. If you were, if you were coming onto the market pre Easter, you know, you were gearing up for a really strong sale of good result. Yeah. Buyers were buyers' activity was solid. We were averaging, you know, really good number of registered bidders at each auction. The mood in the auction room was strong. Um, all of a sudden it fell off a cliff and things really, when I say fell off a cliff, I'm talking about the mood, the mood in the room, the mood online changed rapidly. So like you say, those vendors that were midway through a campaign were kind of caught out in that what agents started doing and rightly or wrongly advising owners that what we know is, is that the market is going to change. It's going to change quickly there are a lot of um, a lot of economists suggesting that we could be seeing anywhere up to a thirty percent price drop, um, and it was almost like I, I wouldn't call it a scare tactic because all agents were doing is reporting on what other people were saying, and they're, and they're you know economists who are making these statements that prices are going to drop by so much that it was almost like vendors were almost frightened into taking a price and. Mm. And they were almost frightened into taking a price. And look, some of those prices are very happy to take. Others, they might be disappointed they took them. Because yeah. in, in the recent data that we've seen come out of the market, that the market actually hasn't fallen as anywhere near no. as much as what people initially thought it might. So I, I think it's been it's been challenging for those owners who have been caught out. But as I say, like a lot of people buy and sell in the same market. So if they, yeah. if they didn't sell as well as they would have hoped, well, they're, they're certainly hoping that they're going to be buying um, a lot better than they would have otherwise have bought. So there's no stock though. <laughs> the problem with that is a lot of people, um, you know, because the market was hot, the, you know, the 
in terms of actually going to brokers and getting finance, a lot of them figured out that potentially they could buy before they sold. Um, and so a lot did buy, you know, in say January or, and then they put their property on the market in Feb to sell it, you know, in March, in uh, March. Um, and so then they bought in a hot market and then they had to potentially sell in this completely fear driven market. Um, and we had quite a few clients that were stuck in that sort of position and, and luckily they all held on. Um, and so, uh, and you know, one was actually going to sell a place for low threes, 3.1. He had an offer. Um, and he was really scared and ended up selling it three weeks later for 3.4, um, which he was much, much happier with, even though it was nowhere near what he thought he was going to get. Um, but you're right. It was, it was those people that were caught in that sort of, um, you know, late sort of March, sort of early April time. Um, but did you see any auctions in that period, even though it was completely full of fear, um, where you still had, you know, ridiculous competition on certain assets? Um, and can you talk about an example of one of those properties that actually had that competition? Because I think it's just really interesting to say that even in, in a real deep fear times, there's still properties that have great competition. Yes, we absolutely saw properties that had strong competition during that period. Um, but one, one specific property that comes to my mind was a, a property that I auctioned on behalf of Colliers. Um, James Cowan was the agent. It was a property in Piermont and it was a, it was a dilapidated um, couple of dwellings and it was that style of property frankly, Chris, that would sell well in any market. And I think that's probably the key about answering that question is that good quality property will sell really well in any market, regardless of the market conditions. I, I think any property that, what, what I would say, had a few warts on it, uh, maybe faced the wrong way, maybe didn't have parking, maybe was, you know, not the, not the renovation that suited the average person looking in the market, those properties that didn't tick every box, they probably struggled more than others. Um, buyers just have this unbelievable infatuation for a property that's unrenovated um, because they feel like that they can add their their own uh, personal tastes and touches and add value to the property and it's going to be worth more. I often find that buyers end up paying a lot more for a property that's unrenovated than sometimes what they could have bought a property that was renovated. Um, and that's those those properties sell well in any market. There was one in Bondi, um, the I think it might have been Ramsgate Avenue. The exact address just escapes me. Um, but Scott Kennedy Green from McGrath conducted this auction. It was only a few weeks ago, um, and I believe they have like twenty seven or twenty eight registered bidders. Um, mm. It was a yeah. two bedroom unit, sold very 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 well. So we've heard about that one. Everyone talks about that. Agents are talking that one up, but they're ignoring all the others. But it does make me laugh because it does exactly illustrate that, that just because market is tough, uh, just because there's a lot of uncertainty and lack of confidence, exactly that. Buyers can pinpoint a property that is scarce, that has all the ingredients that they want, and they will fight for it. So it's, um, it is good to see examples of that in this market. I can, I can give you plenty of examples of ones that didn't go so well. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But that's I, the majority, I, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. I think, I think the, the big thing here that we've been speaking to our clients about, and because this is when people start talking about, you know, auctions versus private treaty sales, what we've really been saying to a lot of people is, you know, yes, the auction clearance rate is challenging at the moment. Yes, we've, we've seen clearance rate for us down to as low as 36%. I guess what but we're that saying, is, that in, hang on a minute, but doesn't that include your withdrawals? Yeah, look, that includes that includes a few things. So, the way we measure an auction clearance rate is how many properties were booked in to go to auction on any given date, and then for the for the sale side of it, it includes any property that sells prior and any property that sells on the day. On on the net on the on the side of it, the properties that don't sell, it includes any property that's withdrawn and any property that doesn't sell on the day. So that is the, what the true, ref, the true auction clearance rate is determined by how many properties sell prior and sell on the day of the auction over the total number of properties booked that was supposed to go up on that day. And the problem with looking at a 30-odd percent clearance rate is that the, those properties were withdrawn not because of 
well, they were withdrawn because of a, um, a market condition that is caused Correct. from a health crisis. Not, and it's very unusual. And also they probably wouldn't have been withdrawn had auctions not been banned. No, or maybe a much smaller amount, number would have been withdrawn. Absolutely. Absolutely they wouldn't have. But where we often say, like, auction's all about days on market because an auction campaign is 28 days generally. We, we say, well, you know, if the auction clearance rate is, is X, well, how many private treaty sales sell within that same time frame? So, you know, the fact that the fact that the auction clearance rate might be slightly lower, it, it's not necessarily the method of sale that brings that about. It's more that it's just the market conditions at any given time in a market. Mm. So we've had, um, you know, CoreLogic have kind of shown that new listings are at all-time lows, but also our total listings um, because people are taking properties off the market um, are at all-time lows as well. And we're talking... Who knows, like, you know, maybe 30 40% under what, you know, you'd expect for this time of year um, compared to previous just in the last five years. Have you been speaking to agents and saying that, you know, agents are now that they can go back to auctions, now that they can now do open homes, that's really just all they were waiting for to potentially start to list properties back on the market? Or have you just, or is it kind of that's not really the case and we're still likely to see very low listing numbers from what you're hearing? Um, there, there is absolutely no doubt that everybody has been waiting to run an open for inspection and conduct an auction. I think that the period has really identified the challenge for a buyer that where you rely on an agent running by appointment inspections, <laughs> that if, if, if a buyer has inspected a property and they make an offer and you've come onto the property a week later but you like it, you know that that property might be getting sold on the on that afternoon, and, and the agent doesn't want to give you the time to go and show you through because they're about to do a deal and sell it. Whereas the beauty of an auction actually enables all buyers to to bid and go and inspect the property. I should say, go and inspect the property during an open for inspection period. So, in that open for inspection period, everyone sort of inspected on the same terms. But when you're relying on people to show you through property, it's a little bit more challenging. So the answer to that is yes, everyone's been waiting to just run an open for inspection as we know it and an auction as we know it. But to give you an example of the, the turnaround, um, from the moment it, it was announced in New South Wales that we could get back and, and conduct auctions, we had 70 auctions booked in that week. And not, not for that week, but for future auctions. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's now um, Tuesday. Um, we've had another 30 auctions booked in um, this week in the last in two days. So we're, we're seeing more properties getting booked in. Now, admittedly, some of these properties that are getting booked in are properties that are actually getting rescheduled. So some of those properties, Veronica, that were taken off the market, for example, are actually now potentially coming back on the market or yes. something that was withdrawn is now being re-auctioned. Um, we're seeing a bit of that. And I... I can tell you that every single agent is having a conversation with any potential seller right now saying there has never been a better time to get on the market because you're competing against less property and every agent is saying to every potential vendor, you know, do you want to wait till spring where everyone's going to come on the market or do you want to come on the market now when there's less competition and you might potentially get a better result? That's the conversation that's happening in the living rooms right now. And you see that off the markets, probably Veronica, you've probably seen this, that uh, obviously an increase of sellers willing to, you know, not go through with a marketing spend and, you know, potentially just test the market and see if they can get what they want. So you're probably seeing a lot more off markets. But, you know, then if they're actually a motivated seller, now they're probably going to go back onto the market again. So, you know, and is that what you're seeing, Veronica, in terms of, you know, the sellers are now you know, willing to try their luck? Well, a lot of off-markets are really pre-markets. So yes. they're just really dipping their toe in the water. And um, and also it's a very much um, an agent pitch to get business by putting forward their database. Um, and when you've got a fearful, you know, you've got a fair amount of fear out there, then uh, potential vendors are thinking, well, great, if I don't have to spend any money, um, then I don't feel like I'm risking anything and I'm not exposing my property. So any agent that rocks in there and says, oh, look, I've got this great database, let's go two weeks and I'll show you, I'll show all of those people. And if not, then we're scheduling an auction campaign. So it's, it's common practice now. And so we are seeing that that is, that, that has been all, well, that's really been the last probably 12 months. This year, certainly, there's been more true off markets in the last 
month or so. Uh, when I say true, that's when there's nothing, there's no floor plan, no photos, no nothing, which is really quite annoying when you have to make a, an appointment to see a property that you you have nothing. <laughs> so, um, so we go on video it for our clients, and now we'll we'll probably see that ease off a little bit. I think. Have what do you think, Damien? Yeah, look, the, the off-market sale has always been quite a funny one, in my opinion, for, for the exact reason that you just said, that a lot of agents call properties off-market, but then it's all over social media and they've got photos and, mm. and there's full plans and marketing. To me, I completely agree with you. That really is a pre-market launch rather than an off-market launch. Um, I think a true off-market is something that actually does, like you say, have no no marketing whatsoever. Um, yeah. I. I think that I think an off-market an off-market sale does a couple of things. I, I think the first thing it does is it puts a bit of doubt in the buyer's mind: is am I paying too much? Um, and I also think that it gives a vendor, like you say, Veronica, some some um, some confidence around sticking to what sometimes can be an inflated price. Yeah. Uh, I think coming to market is the best way for the owner to determine what market value is, and I also think it's the best way for the buyer to compete under under a transparent environment um, in an open forum. Um, that's why I'm such a strong believer in auction because I believe that it's the most transparent way to sell and it's the fairest way for a buyer to know that they're paying market value. It's the fairest way for an owner to get market value and I just think it's the most transparent method of sale. So I think what what the whole off-market transaction does is that it just it really gives the owner a bit more confidence in hanging on to their price. Um, and I think to a certain degree, some buyers um, go into a negotiation with the unknown of, of, you know, am I actually paying too much for this? Or B, you know, how do I determine what this is actually worth? So you said something really interesting before. You said, I, what did I, what I've learned from COVID or Corona or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, what are some of the other things that you've learned about the property market and potentially, you know, the dynamics of buyer behaviour over this sort of two months and what do you think it's going to shift in terms of, you know, how's it going to affect what we want and what we desire in property? Well, markets are driven by really, in my view, two things. The, the biggest thing that a market is driven by is confidence and when, when there's confidence in a market, the, the market is rising and when there's no confidence in the market, the market's falling. Second thing that really markets are driven by is the ability to borrow money. And if, mm. if, if people can borrow money then they, and they've got confidence, then that's the perfect recipe for a boom market. Now, the borrowing of the money is the unknown because what we've, what we've really noticed over the, over the past you know, six, eight weeks is that banks have tightened up the way, the way that, they, that they check up on buyers. Like I've even heard scenarios recently, and you might have some intel on this, where, where banks have even been ringing, um, ringing mortgage brokers and buyers like a couple of days before settlement. And if I heard one the other day where a buyer had uh, lost their, lost their uh, job, like literally a few days before settlement, and the bank found out about that, and they were, they'd already purchased the property, paid the deposit, and the bank pulled the finance on them. Literally, the removalist was putting the furniture in the in the truck. So there are situations where, you like, if buyers can borrow and there's confidence, then the market's going, in my opinion, the market will boom. And I, I think the market has every right to come out of a period where it's got incredibly low interest rates. Um, if the banks are lending and confidence comes back, then we'll see strong price growth. But if, if unemployment goes really high like everyone's saying it's going to happen if banks put a bit of a stranglehold on buyers and they don't lend money then i think that we we may find ourselves in a challenging market but these are the unknowns the crystal balls that i guess we don't have but if there's confidence and banks lend then the market will grow there's also the flip side of that confidence in that um, vendors have to have confidence they're going to get their price and then they'll list their property so if you find that vendors who don't have to sell um simply don't list, and this will be geographical too, I would imagine, um, then that's going to hold prices as well, just so sheer lack of transactions. Yeah, look, it will. I think I think the bounce back that we're going to see once, you know, all states and 
territories are allowed to run an open for inspection and, and do auctions again. You, you will see a bit of a jump in the clearance rate. We, we already saw that in, in Sydney on the weekend. And, and I think that it, all it was is really going to take is some good news stories coming out in the media of, of a bit of confidence being back um, that will actually give more buyers confidence to, um, to purchase and, and the pendulum will swing. And, and when, once that pendulum starts swinging, the more, more vendors will say, okay, bit of confidence back in the market, that gives me confidence to list my home um, and I think that the wheels will start turning. I don't think that it's going to take long before those wheels start turning and start turning in a positive way if we see um, continued positive news articles um, being written in the papers and, and seen online. Hey, I've got a question for you. How is it? Is there any difference auctioning a pack of toilet paper to auctioning, auctioning a house? <laughs> well, the toilet paper is a lot more fun, I must say. That. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was quite hilarious. Um, I said to I said to Jake who who works with me, I said, you know what? I've got an idea. We're going to get a roll of toilet paper, or or a, I think it was a twenty four pack or a thirty six pack. We're going to go down to Double Bay and just for a bit of fun, we're gonna we're gonna live stream this. We're going to auction off a, this toilet paper now. I, I put a uh, I put an announcement on this. I did make a couple of phone calls to make sure I had a few buyers down there. I rang. Uh, <laughs> I rang a couple of uh, a couple of clients and said, "This is what I'm doing. Get down there and make sure you put a bid in because I don't want to look like an idiot and not sell this." <laughs> so we went down to Double Bay. So you're allowed to do that when you got toilet paper, aren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so we went down there. We sold the uh, we sold the toilet paper for a thousand dollars, and I matched it, and uh, we do, we donated the money to charity. So look, it was a bit of fun, but. I must check and see how many views that got on Facebook. It was it was certainly my my most uh, entertaining and uh, biggest reach Facebook post that I've ever done. <laughs> Good PR, much better PR than actually selling property. <laughs> yeah, far, far even far outweighed the block. So there you go. Wow, that's that's a big call. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Damien, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Yes, I've got a property dumbo and it relates to online auctions and in, and uh, and bidding in person and bidding online. We, When somebody is bidding in person at an auction, that means they're actually bidding in person. Someone's bidding online, that means they're placing their bids online. One of my frustrations in the past well, you know, over the past, um, before the auctions were actually banned and now that we're able to do auctions, buyers are getting mixed up when they're pre-registering for auctions of whether they're bidding in person or they're bidding online. It's really simple. One says bid in person and one says bid online. It's about getting it right. (laughs) You know, the funny part about it is that there actually is a difference to the way that they register. And we, we collect more information from an online bidder. For example, we make we make the online bidder put their credit card details in, and that's just like a security over them being an online bidder. We, we have seen a little bit of fraud creep into online auctions where people have been trying to register for properties and the agent don't doesn't know who they are. So we've been really um, vet checking every single buyer who's an online bidder. So it's something that we've really been careful of. Wow. And that's something we didn't even talk about was actually the security aspect of it. Um, there's a whole other podcast in that, I gather. Um, so one final question, Damon. Can you just hear your thoughts? Because I think one of the benefits of being an auctioneer and, um, you know, A, you're on the ground, which a lot of people, property commentators, are not actually out and about seeing auctions and not actually seeing what buyers are doing and what properties are hot and what properties are not a hot. Not hot. I think agents also sometimes have that problem because they only see what's happening in the eastern suburbs or the lower northern beaches or, you know, the western suburbs. And so they're not really getting that full market exposure. So I feel like someone like yourself and someone who's doing auctions all over the place can get that real understanding of what the agents are saying. Are you noticing, though, that in terms of what the questions and what buyers are wanting um, are shifting in terms of the space, you know, green space over, say, views or 
um, you know, studies or, you know, things that, you know, people, buyers are actually changing their preferences in terms of the type of properties that they love? I think what the COVID period has really um, highlighted is everybody's ability to or, or need to actually like live life um, and, and get the best out of their, their home. Everyone yeah. would love more space if they can afford it. Uh, I, I guess everybody would love to have a two-bedroom unit instead of a one-bedroom unit if they can afford it. So affordability comes comes to the really the forefront here. Do people want more space? Do people want that extra study? Do people want the ability to be able to work from home? Of course. Um, I think that, that that has certainly been heightened during this period. And there will be questions that people will ask themselves after spending literally eight weeks in their homes, exclusively in their homes. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of some people come out of this and say, you know what, I hate the house I live in, I want to move, and I, I want a bigger house or, like you say, I want to be near the park or I want to be near the beach or, you know, yeah. or, or hey, you know what, I, I actually want a smaller place. I want to live closer to the city. I, I want to live, move closer to mum and dad or, you know, I actually want that rural escape. I want that that little farm we've always been talking about down the Southern Highlands or in the Hunter Valley or wherever it might be, you know, yeah. I, I want that escape. So I think that that conversation is happening right now in the living rooms of many families um, and that, that we might start to see that change come over, you know, over the next six to 12 months. We might already be starting to see that change. Um, but it's, it's definitely on the conversation table right now. It's interesting you say that because you're right. Like the people, the, the people not looking to enter the market in terms of say first home buyers, but the people in their homes right now have had to, you know, deal with the frustrations of whether it's not got something that's you know allowing them to live comfortably through this period, um, and having to really question that. And you know, affordability is one thing though. But if you, for example, you know, can only spend eight hundred and that can get you a one bed, maybe you say, well, I'll I'll move a bit further out. You know, like and so yeah. You're going to see. You're going to see, and that 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 point exactly is the reason why. I mean, I do a lot of auctions in Newcastle and a lot of auctions in Wollongong, and we're absolutely seeing buyers who are in that sort of around that million dollar price bracket moving to the likes of Newcastle, moving to the likes of Wollongong, purely on an affordability basis for bang for your buck. Um, we're seeing more people move out of Sydney as prices um, just, I guess, get out of reach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I guess the benefit, they can potentially work from home. So maybe Newcastle, I grew up there, it's maybe a little bit too far to work from home, um, you know, to, to commute five days um, where Central Coast you could do it. But um, and even two days a week from Newcastle is a bit of a slog um, if you want to keep your Sydney job. But maybe Central Coast, Wollongong, definitely. So and there's all going to be these buyer shifts, but also the owners of property are going to potentially um, consider moving. And this this type of... Um, transactions is, is, you know, going to change after COVID, I think. I think we need to get a futurist on the show to, to work out, you know, to get an idea about how people's thinking changes and their priorities. Because I think you're right, Damien, and I've spoken to a couple of um, agents from just outside of Sydney, so within, say, two-hour commute, um, and there's been increased inquiry apparently from people who are thinking, you know what, you know, now we've had this time at home away from restaurants, cafes, and all the things that we normally have in the city. You know, I might be able to, I could live rurally. Um, so, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see if there's a bit of a migration. Two hours is probably the the, the time frame, I guess, that yeah. people really would love to have a home within, within Sydney. You know, another thing that people have really noticed is that how much money they've probably saved by not mm. going out to restaurants, by not going and yes. spending all their money at, at shops and whatnot. So there's been, whilst it's been a challenge in, in some respects financially for businesses, there have probably been quite significant savings for, for in other ways. Yes, it's not all bad. <laughs> really appreciate your time, Damien. It's a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Veronica. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, giving those insights in terms of what's been happening with the off-site auctions or the online auctions and just sharing with us your insights into buyer behaviour and vendor behaviour as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Hopefully we can all behave ourselves and we don't have to go back under tighter restrictions. I absolutely look forward to the day that we can return to what we know as our normal and that's being able to travel, um, get out and about, um, enjoy friends and family's company, 
and uh, return to some form of normality. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... Well, let's talk about the need to have a strategy regardless of how you're going to be bidding for a property. If you're going to be bidding online or offline, you still need to actually do the same preparation that you need to do regardless of the actual method of sale. And that is that you have to... a once, um, assuming that you've chosen the right property and it is the right property for you and you've gone through all of that process yourself, you've got to work out what it's worth and you've got to work out what it's worth to you. And they are two very different things. And certainly there's no no substitute for doing your own research into what that property should be selling for in the in the current market. Now, obviously, when there's market uncertainty, you're trying to work out, well, would it be a bargain or will it be competitive? So you have to think to yourself, well, how good is this property? Damien talked about some of the properties that still got enormous competition. And when this is what we bang on about all the time in this podcast is when you go for an A-grade property, that's the sort of property that does get competition regardless of market conditions. And so you've got to be aware of that. There's no point going to an auction thinking you're going to get a bargain just because it's, you know, COVID time. Um, if it's a good property, and it's going to be competitive. You need to be prepared and really had to have thought through what that property is worth. And that, that takes research into recent sales. But also you need to be very, very clear on what your limit is and what your walkaway price is. And that's partly around how uniquely that property suits your needs, but also around, you know, your actual borrowing capacity and affordability. And so there's risks around that or heightened risks around that at the moment as well. So being prepared and really thinking through where you're prepared to go to at an auction is really, really essential. Now, I actually cover all of this in my book, which is called Auction Ready, How to Buy Property at Auction Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I have to say that if you're going online at all, you have to be even more scared shitless than normal because lack of transparency. And that's what Damien was talking about. So that's even more reason for you to be very, very clear on your your on the value of the property, but also on your game plan. And also listeners, I should just put a little plug in here that listeners can get a copy of the book with a 30% discount for listeners. So if you go to getauctionready.com.au and use the code elephant, you can get the 30% off. Love that plug, Veronica. Um, <laughs> I mean, one interesting thing is, I don't know if you haven't read your book, which I should read your book because you haven't oh sent me a copy. God. But, um, in terms of have you covered there though, how do you, you know, in times when there's very low stock, which we have to admit now is very low stock, mm. how do you factor that into what your walkaway price is? Because, you know, if there's lots of potential problems, even if you want a scarce property, there still could be quite a few of them on the market that are, ticking all your boxes, mm. how do you factor in low supply into your walkaway price? Well, the reality is if there's low supply or high supply, you shouldn't be pushing yourself for the wrong property. So a lot of people when there's a very low supply, they, they think, oh, my God, I've got to buy anything because otherwise I'm never going to find the mm. you know, anything. And so that's a real, real failure because you, you buy the wrong property and you're stuck with it or you find yourself in a costly exercise of getting out of it and into the, into the right property. So regardless of whether there's lots of stock or no stock, focus on the right property. Now, you've got to be realistic about that. You've got to be realistic that you can actually afford the right property for you in the area that you want. And so that pricing research process that I um, that I talk about in the book is really important because you need to actually, by looking at recent sales, even if you go out 12 months when there might have been more stock on the market, if there's been yeah. nothing in the last 12 months that has sold that you would have bought, then you know you need to push yourself for whatever property you found now. But if there's been three, yeah. four, five, six, whatever, and you would have bought any of them or you could have bought any of them, then you think, well, you don't have to push yourself quite so hard now, even though there's not a lot of stock around because it, it's fairly probable that something will come up soon enough. Do you find that a lot of uh, clients, however, get a bit too optimistic or pessimistic because they look at past sales without actually having gone through those properties, they never really know whether they were 
the right fit or not? Well, I think this is when I say look at past sales, I look at, you know, online photos and, and floor plans and videos and whatever they've got. Um, and it is, I would say, you'd never buy a property only seeing it online. And so therefore there is a bit of a weakness when you are just looking at an online listing as something that's sold in terms of truly comparing it if you haven't physically seen it. Um, yeah. But this is one of the dangers, I guess, of the current market because it's harder to see property and even open houses have still got restricted numbers and they're discouraging yeah. people from look from doing their research, really. So yeah. it is it is a lot tougher to make those calls um, and really nothing substitutes a good amount of time. Well, actually something does substitute it, using a good buyer's agent who actually knows the area and has actually seen a lot of these properties. That's one way to get around it because, the you know, I know in my business – uh, we we have looked at a lot of the properties that have sold recently, so we can actually help our clients see them in context. Yeah. But it is quite difficult in the current market for an individual buyer to do all that research and legwork to get themselves ready. And that's even more reason why they and even they have to force the agent and you know and and you know whatever they need to do to get their research done. You know because you know you can't be going into the market in say spring or six months time and going. Well, it was a bit more difficult for me to get into look at a property because, you know, et cetera. I think you've got to be still out there doing your research and trying to get to as many open homes as you can um, because, you know, that you're going to need that research, you know, and especially well, if the market does get, you know, there is still low supply, confidence is back a little bit and you get competition again. Um, you know, you're going to want to know those reference points. It's, it's almost impossible to get the right price if you haven't been doing your research, buyers will either underestimate, and I hear that a lot, oh, there's no way I wouldn't pay that, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody else does come along and pay that, you know, uh, or they overestimate it because they're just not actively in the market themselves and they love it and so they can't understand why anybody else wouldn't want to pay that same price they would. And and you often see it goes in both directions. It's very rare that a buyer gets it spot on without any knowledge. I mean, if they've really well researched in the area, they, you know, buyers become the local expert, you know, if they've been doing it long enough. But, um, yeah, without that background, it's really, really, really fraught. Yeah, exactly. So those clients there are putting their personal uh, preferences and what they value in a house or a property, um, you know, as what drives its value, but what drives its value is the market, you know, and, mm. um, you know, and that what other people love about the house and what they value it is what matters. And uh, it's very hard when you think you're looking at properties because, you know, you're the one buying it. So you're basing everything about what you like and what you don't like. And the reality is you're going to like things more than sometimes the market. And, um, and the other way around, you're going to say, look, it's, you know, I don't value that it being on the best street as much as the market, you know, because yeah. I, I'm happy to live a little bit closer to the main road or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's interesting kind of watching. It's very hard to value the, the property on what the market values because there's always a bit of personal preference in there that over or undervalues it. Please join us for our next episode when we bring back Stuart Weems. Now, if you've read our full or forecaster report, you'll know that we gave him a gold star. Find out why he was the one person that was able to predict the bottom of the market back in December 2018 and whether or not he thinks he can do it again. We also talk in depth about the rules of lending and really understanding how to take advantage of the market, banks, bank policy, all sorts of things, and to prepare yourself to maximise your own borrowing potential. Please join us. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.